Morning. Hello. Good to see everyone. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, Happy New Year to everyone. 2016, yeah? All right. Well, I'll tell you what. um, Before we get started into God's Word, just a couple thoughts. Um, The way it works for me is that, and it seems to be the case with all of mankind, is that we start the year with all kinds of discipline. Mine caves right about the third month. You know what I'm saying? By the end of the year, it's just like, what in the world? I'm a mess. What's going on with me? And so uh, this this year, as I was kind of looking into it, I still want to take full advantage of any time to start fresh or get new good habits going, right? So I'm thinking, all right, what do I really desire for this church? And, you know, it was really heavy on my heart. Here's what I would love for us all together. Now, whatever other things that you have on your to-do list, whatever else you have on your uh, uh, New Year's resolution list, I need you to add this one on there, all right? All collectively, I believe that in 2016, you and I need to become better men and women of prayer. I believe that there is much that God wants to do in us and through us, and it is contingent upon prayer. Now, there are some of you, and I don't know what your obstacle is in prayer. Maybe you have an awesome prayer life. Maybe things are rocking and things are going great and, and you're you know, blowing it out for the Lord. And so by all means, inspire us. But if you have challenges, I'm not sure what your obstacle is. A very common obstacle on why people do not pray more is what I call sloppy sovereignty. It, this is the, the concept or uh, the thought... That it doesn't matter if I pray or not, God's going to do what God's going to do. I need you to understand something. That's not biblical. As a matter of fact, that goes against scripture. That's why I call it sloppy sovereignty. Well, God's in charge, so it really doesn't matter what I do. But what if God's big enough to do things contingent on your prayers? What if he's allowed to set up a system like that and you're the one screwing it up? So here's the idea. The idea is, is that when Jesus taught on prayer, he used a super weird story to talk about it. Here's what he said. There was a woman and she needed justice. She needed a bad judge to help her out. So she went to him and pleaded her case. And he's like, I don't have time for you. I don't care about you. I don't care about God. So whatever you got going on, I'm not interested. Well, she went after him and then went after him and went after him and went after him. What about now? What about now? What about now? What about now? Right? Over and over and over. Finally, she drove him so insane that he said, woman, I don't care about God. I don't care about you, but you've driven me so crazy that yes, I'll do what you ask. Jesus said, pray like that. That's a weird story. And you go, well, why should that be? Who cares? I have no idea why he put it like that. I have no idea why that is his system. What I'm telling you is he wants us to pray and he does stuff when we pray. What I do know is that prayer is honoring to God and that he wants us involved. Now, we could get into the debates about what are we going to do when we're praying. Well, you know what, Lance, I kind of have a prayer life where I just kind of talk to God throughout my whole day. Other people, well, you know, I have my quiet time and then I don't think. Do you understand it's a both? That one is called relationship and one is called prayer. So the whole talking to God all day long and, you know, he's driving with you in the car and you're like, Lord, are, are they bad drivers to you too? And he says, yeah. And he says, yes, they are. And, and you bond. That's called relationship. But there's certain times that we need to have every day where we carve it out and we fight in prayer. We struggle in prayer. We strain in prayer. We advance in prayer. And mighty things are done in prayer. That's a different type of prayer. Both of those are needed and required. So we can't say we have one versus the other. Now we have coming up here, uh, I guess this Friday, right? 7 p.m. We have this movie War Room coming in. You all know that I talked about it. I posted about it and stuff like that. I'm a movie freak, love movies and everything else. And and I was walking into this one nervous, right? Because I hate cheese. And it just, I hate any, you know... I'll tell you this, about a third of the way into the movie, maybe even half if you're a skeptic like me, 
you forget about all the acting, you forget about everything other than prayer, and all you're doing is thinking about what room in my house can I clean out and make it a fighting room, right? And I'm telling you, you get so caught up in the idea that, man, we can advance stuff in prayer, we can do stuff in prayer, and you're all riled up. And so if a prayer meeting doesn't break out after the film, something went wrong, all right? So if you need some types of encouragement like that, and you're going, man, I just need something to give me a boost again for the new year, uh, by all means, that's totally free. Why don't you come hang out with us on Friday night at 7 p.m. Um, speaking of prayer, why don't we just go ahead and kick off the new year and just pray together? Does that sound good? Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for a brand new year that we are walking into, a year full of promise and plans and dreams and excitement and adventure and things that you have anticipated for us. Things that are actually, you've already worked upstream, they're locked and loaded, and they are things that are ready to trigger as we cross each finish line. May we not compromise to miss out on your blessings. May we not deviate from your plans to miss your treasure. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would use this year to make us more men and women of prayer. That, Father, that you would meet us in that prayer room. That you would speak to us in that prayer room. That, Lord, when we do the quiet time of connection with you, we would emerge out in the power of the Spirit and we would know that there is a difference in a life saturated in prayer and a life that is stone cold. God, I pray that you would show us new things that get us excited about it, that we would see it in a different way, that you'd give us a different perspective, that, that this year is a church praying together, a community blessed by prayer, homes praying together, couples praying together, individuals seeking your face, intercessors fighting for other people, prayers that lead to healing and breakthrough, prayers that lead to your glory and your worship. God, make us men and women of prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Right on. Well, I'll tell you what, I want to start our message together by talking about what's fair. What's fair. We all have this innate sense in our hearts that when things are unfair, there's a violation. Now, where does that come from? I believe it comes from being made in the image of God. I think that God is justice. And I think that when something violates his nature, it bugs us deep down. Now, over time, we can crush that alarm clock. We can steal our will. We can uh, harden our hearts. We can do all these things to shut down that response. But I think innately, certain things just feel wrong. Uh, anything that seems like cheating or what have you. I, I recently came in contact with this. I went up to the snow. I don't know how many of you follow me on, on uh, Twitter or Facebook or what have you, but I was posting out that I, I took my daughters to the snow and it was the first time they had ever got a chance to go skiing. Now we were supposed to take them snowboarding, but neither Susie or I knew how to snowboard. And the whole idea was either the whole family was going to have to go through lessons or we're going to do something we knew how to do and then teach the kids and then let them figure it out from then on. Now, I hadn't been skiing but once in the last 20 years. I grew up skiing like crazy, right? And so I knew how to do it. And we were on the bunny slopes and all that stuff. It was all good. And uh, I, was, I would kind of take my little one. I'd hold onto her pole and just steer her down the hill and kind of move her around. It was very fun. Uh, but here's the problem, the lift lines. If you haven't been skiing, uh, in a while or ever, here's how lift lines go. They're in a large funnel shaped concept. And what it means is whoever fights their way to the front can actually get on the lift and go up the hill. And what it means is all polite people wait longest and all rude people go first. Because it's this idea where you have to kind of inch forward, inch forward, and you literally have to like cut other people off as you're going in. Now, this doesn't happen very often, but I thought my wife was going to snap. <laughs> and the reason why is the mama bear came out. Did you cut off my daughter again? Did you cut off my daughter again? And she, you know, and I was like, honey, you got to hold on. All right. You know, we, we can make this. Uh, innately, you feel like this isn't right. I don't know what's wrong with everything, but man, it, nobody's organizing this thing. It's not going smooth. What is happening here? And it was, it was this super frustrating part. I think that internally we feel like that is wrong. 
But why do we feel that way? I think that that's the nature of God. But if we're going to talk about what's fair, what is it that is fair? You know, it's intriguing to me because uh, yesterday I was preparing this message and I began to have my own personal agitation with someone else's sin. I was sitting in Starbucks and I'm working on the message and I was real close to these two 18-year-old guys sitting at a table next to me. They were, I could hear every word they were saying. They were so disrespectful to women. They were talking about their, their girlfriends and other girls and how they were taking advantage of them and how they were, the women were weak and they were doing this. And they, I kid you not, uh, we almost had an opening for a senior pastor at Bridgeway. I'll tell you that right now. I was real close to getting up and taking them both out. I was like, I was, yeah, I was like, I, I, I will. Amen. <laughs> I was like, I will rip your face off. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I was like, okay, just chill out. Calm down, calm down. Calm. Not, never once did I pray for them. And, and I had such a hard time focusing on the message. It was like, I was trying to block them out and I was trying to do the message and all this stuff. And then they ended up leaving. And all of a sudden over the loudspeaker came the song, good, good father. And I was like, wait, aren't I at Starbucks? Like, <laughs> like there ain't no Christian music at Starbucks. What, what has happened? So somehow it got onto the playlist and that song, everything began to soothe. And I, and I realized a couple things. I wonder if I was so agitated by those young men because, because in, maybe they in some way reflect how I mistreat people. You know, I found out a long time ago that we hate sin in other people because it's present in ourselves. I, I, think, that, I think that what we excuse in ourselves, we condemn in other people. We always have a reason for our sin but everyone else's is yucky and we're disgusted by it. But we serve a holy and righteous God and he has a perfect perspective and all of it nauseates him. And so I wonder if if that was why it was agitating. Maybe the sin in them was stirring the sin in me and I was just constantly getting more and more angry. I don't know if maybe I was angry at myself. I don't know. What I do know is if we want to talk about what's fair, then the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is true. We deserve to hang on the cross. We deserve to hang on the cross. That's fair. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And for a lot of us, we don't want to talk about sin. We think it's a kind of a a boring topic or it's agitating and and i think that we don't want to talk about it because we don't understand the magnitude i I think that we always think that sin isn't a big deal especially ours other people's may be a big deal but ours isn't that big of a deal but let me remind you of a couple points number one with a holy and righteous and perfect god in which there is no evil he is the standard of goodness Therefore, anything that is not good is a violation of his character. It's not like there is a code somewhere and God puts on a gold badge and says, I'm the new sheriff in this town, right? I'm making sure that you're going to adhere to these principles here on the wall. I don't know where they came from, but I'm going to make sure you follow them. That's not the case. There is either God's nature or anti-God. Therefore, when we choose sin, when we choose to violate the nature of God, which tends to lead to wounding other people and ourselves, we focus that the big deal is on each other. It is not. It's the violation against the holy and righteous God. Because if we back up for a moment and remember that the entire story of existence centers around him and we are merely a side issue and we are thumbing our nose at the great and mighty creator saying, you're not as important as I am, there's a cost to that. That cost means you don't get to be with God. 
That's the cost because everyone's built for eternal life, either eternally with God or eternally not with God. Now, you can't fathom that. I can't fathom that. I don't know if any of you ever grew up like the little kids that thought about stuff they probably shouldn't think about that bent their mind into a pretzel. That was me. The concept of eternity. Here we go. This is what it's like. You sit around, you start thinking, you know what? We live on cycles that you know right now, at some point today, you're going to start getting tired. You might have already had that experience in the message already. It'll get worse, trust me. You start getting tired and you realize at some point your body is going to want to rest in some way. At some point tonight, the sun is going to go down. You're going to realize everything begins to shut down. You go to bed and at some point you're going to wake up and there's going to be a rejuvenation. You're going to have new energy and you're going to continue through, but you're built on cycles. What if I told you that forever after, no more cycles? It just is. Just dwell on that. Your mind kind of goes, right? just blows out. Why? Because you can't even understand that. This is what's at stake. Eternity, constant, no God ever. That's a problem. Because God understands the stakes, he stepped in and said, I cannot allow my creation and my children to ever go through that. I know they don't get it, but I get it. Therefore, I'm the adult. I'm going to step into their world and I'm going to make it right. That is the story we are reading today. If you remember where we're at is that Jesus has gone on trial. He was grabbed by the Jewish people and went through a religious trial before two high priests, Annas and Caiaphas. He was then sent to Pilate, the Roman governor, He then sent him over to Herod and got kicked back to Pilate. That is where we pick up the story. Let's go ahead and take a look. I have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John all combined together for you. We'll throw those up on the screen beginning primarily in the book of John. And it looks like this. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, What, do you say this on your own account? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, what am I, a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. So what have you done? Jesus answered, well, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And after he said this, he went outside. Let me give you a real quick recap. The way that this kind of works is that, as you know, Rome owns the world at this time, and and they're over this area. And there was a guy named Herod the Great. He's a big builder, and a lot of the stuff over there he built. He had three sons. When he died, he handed off his territory to three sons. One of his sons got the territory of Samaria, Judea, and Idumea. That guy's name was Archelaus. Archelaus was a terrible leader and got recalled. At that point, they put in governors. Of one was Pilate. Pilate was in there for nine years. He was in there from AD 26 to AD 35. Why is that important? That's Jesus's era. So Pilate's in charge. He is there from Rome. He does not like the Jewish people. He runs the Jewish people for Rome, but he can't stand them. You're going to hear his disdain in almost everything he says. He has already had multiple run-ins with the Jewish people where they have complained about his leadership and he almost got recalled. And what he doesn't want to do is lose his power or lose his position. So he's agitated, he's irritated. All of a sudden this guy, a Jewish guy, and that's all he knows, is now brought before him and they're in this big seemingly religious battle he wants no part of. All he cares about is keep the peace that will make the emperor happy. Peace at all costs. And if you can, carry out justice. 
This is the Pilate that we know. All right, a couple other things. He said, are you a king? Jesus said, I'm sorry, what are we talking about here? Well, I asked you, are you a king? What do you mean by that? Do you mean, am I interested in your little chair? No. No, I have zero interest in your chair. You're, you're just a pawn, man. You're, this isn't even a, you're not a big deal. I mean, there's so much other stuff going on in the world. Let me tell you something. If you want to talk about a king from my perspective, here's what we're going to say. Am I the king of the universe? Yes, I am. But you couldn't handle that. So we're not going to talk about that. So I'm not quite sure what type of king. I can tell you this. My kingdom is not about this tangible stuff. My kingdom is a kingdom of the heart. My kingdom, I actually came in to bring light into a dark place. I'm bringing my kingdom to shove out the enemy and ultimately I'm going to snap his neck. Now, is that what you want to talk about? What am I, a Jew? You want to talk about Jew stuff? That's what Pilate responds. So at that point, Jesus is going, listen, I can't help you, man. I am a king, but not anything that would, you would care about. So let's just let that one go. Then he says, I am here to bring the truth. Pilate says, yeah, what's truth? That's well, funny that you should ask that because all of history is defined by these things. In the beginning, everything went wrong because of a lie. I'm here to tell you the truth. The truth is God loves you. The truth is I'm here to protect you. The truth is you're in danger. The truth is I'm the solution. So all the lies that you have received that you're not valuable, all the lies that you think that God is bad, all those things that have been filled into your culture, I'm here to turn on their head. I'm here to tell you what's right. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the Jews. Which, by the way, side note, it keeps referring to the Jews. I need to clear up something that you, as our congregation and family, already know, but let me be very clear. Not all Jews were against Jesus. All right? A lot of stupid things have happened in history. Oh, Jews are the Jesus killers, so we're Christians, so blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's all garbage. The majority of Jews thought Jesus was awesome. So why was he crucified and shouted out by the Jews? Because there was a very small vocal minority who had the power. They didn't like Jesus. When Jesus refers to the Jews as enemies, he's referring to the bad leadership that was in place. He was not referring to his people. He is a Jew he loves the Jewish people, they're his chosen people, and he's still working with them. He still is all about bringing revival to the Jewish people. So, no, not all Jews hated Jesus. Most of them were pro-Jesus, all right? You're going to find out why it went down the way it did in a moment. It says, then Pilate called together the chief priests, those are leaders and the rulers and the Jews, and the crowd came up, and this is important, and they began to ask Pilate to do what he usually did for them, all right? So the crowd instigates a conversation with Pilate. It was their initiation. What did they want to talk about? Look at this. Now at the feast, we're talking about the Passover, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted, for whom they asked and they had then among the rebels who had been thrown into prison, a robber who had committed murder in the insurrection started in the city. He was a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Okay, here's why all those details are so important. First of all, who is Barabbas? Here's the ironic thing. And in my mind, it's funny. His Barabbas is his last name. You know what his first name is? Jesus. Okay, so we have Jesus Barabbas versus Jesus of Nazareth. So it creates an awful lot of confusion when they keeps going, who should I release to you? We, want, we don't want Jesus. We don't want Jesus Barabbas or you don't want Jesus of Nazareth. Like, which one are we talking about? Jesus was a very, very common name. It's kind of like Joe today because the, the uh, other version of Jesus is Joshua and you start going down into Joseph and all these different things. All right, so... The other ironic thing about Barabbas is his last name. 
Bar means son of. So what is his name? Bar Abba. Son of the father. So we have the son of God versus son of the father. You understand all these weird plays going on? Now, it can mean son of the rabbi. Either way, you got this guy who has some type of religious background. Who is he? He is their version of Robin Hood. He is a national hero that causes problems to lead riots to try to free Israel from Rome. He's willing to kill and murder. He is a known murderer. That's why he's in there. But he's a national hero. So this crowd comes together, knows they can get one guy released. Who is the crowd there for? Barabbas. It's a Barabbas crowd. Now you're going to see why there's a big lean his way. The whole reason they're there is to get him free. So they gather together. They instigate the conversation. Hey, you're going to release one of those guys to us, right? I'll tell you who we want. We want Barabbas. Right off the bat. Well, Pilate is going to go, well, maybe I can use this to my advantage. You're going to see how he tries to do that. It says, so when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, you brought me this man as one who is misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. I find no guilt in him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Ah, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew and perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered Jesus up to him. Okay, there's some confusion as to why Jesus is on trial. Because here's what Pilate's thinking. Pilate is political. Pilate doesn't care about the Jews. Pilate cares about politics. Pilate cares about Rome. He was trained in Roman law. So he's going, man, you guys brought this dude to me and I thought we had an insurrection problem. You're telling me he's misleading people and he's a bad guy. I'm checking him out and there's nothing like that in this guy at all. He's not trying to lead a movement. He's not trying to take me over. He's not doing any of that garbage. I'm not sure why he's even here. I do know this. Y'all don't like him. I do know there's an envy and jealousy problem. I do know that his leadership... What makes you nervous? I do know that he's threatening to you and you're trying to get rid of him, but that's not a reason I'm going to kill him. I don't care what your squabbles are. Hmm. Do you realize that although Pilate has already tried to release Jesus when he sent him off to Herod, do you realize he's going to try to release him at least three more times? Pilate is going out of his way to get rid of this guy. He doesn't want any part of it. Why? Rome believed themselves to be the advanced empire. They prided themselves on shutting down the barbarians of the world and bringing modern into the world. They were all about, we're the justice ones. We have the best government system. We are the fair ones. We're the right ones. And they had all these different laws. Pilate had been trained in due process and things being done right. He may not do a lot right, but he knows how to do law. So he's going, listen, guys, I'm not killing an innocent man. I can't do that. That's just not in, that's not what I was trained to do. That's not right according to Rome's standards. I don't care about the morality of it. I care about the fact of why I'm here. So I'm not gonna kill this guy. I will find a way to get this guy out of here. Well, let's see how that works out. It says, Besides, while Pilate was sitting on the Bema seat or the judgment seat, that's his throne, his wife sent word to him, slipped him a note, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. And Pilate again said to them, so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? I'll punish him and I'll release him. Okay couple things what's the dream thing about where do you think the dream came from came from god why is that important because nobody has a clue what's going on in this trial except for god 
So God sends in his verdict. What's his verdict? He's righteous. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. He's righteous. The woman starts freaking out because she realizes this is a holy man. Even God is getting, and I didn't even believe in God. I don't know if she was a follower of the Lord or what was going on. Somehow he got to her, rattled her cage and said, don't you have your husband get involved in the condemnation of a righteous man? So she sends him a note, hon, you got to let this guy go. You can't be a part of this thing. So he's feeling that heat. He's feeling now that there's a supernatural issue going on. And he's like, man, I have to get this guy out of here. All right, Jews, here's what we're going to do. I will beat the living daylights out of this guy. Now I'm not going to kill him, but hopefully your bloodthirst, y'all are so upset about this guy. Let me beat him to a pulp. And then you're going to, oh, somewhere your compassion's going to kick in, or at least you'll be fine, and you just let him go, okay? I'll beat him up, and I'll bring him back to you. Now, the chief priests and the elders had stirred up and persuaded the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas and to destroy Jesus instead. They all cried out together, not that Jesus. We want that Jesus. Not this man. We want Barabbas. Away with this man. Release to us Barabbas. Okay, a couple intriguing things. Do you see the abuse of religious authority going on? Okay, they have a hatred because of a power struggle and they're trying to manipulate all their people to get what they want. That's horrific abuse. Here's the other ironic thing. They would rather have safe sin than a savior. They would rather have, there is a known murderer. Yeah, well, he's a national hero. No, no, no. That guy kills people. He'll run over anybody to get what he wants. You would rather have the sin that you know let free rather than a savior who's going to ask you to change. Is it not always the same today? People would rather have their own safe lives, safe sin that they know, than a savior that would come in and transform them because no one wants to change. Craziness. You're willing to have a murderer and you're willing to kill a savior. And so Pilate goes through with his plan. Let's see how it works out. And so the soldiers of the governor led Jesus away and took him into the governor's headquarters inside the palace. And they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe or a purple cloak on him. They arrayed him and twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head, put a reed in his right hand. Then they came up to him and began to salute him, kneeling before him. They mocked him saying, hail king of the Jews. And they took the reed and were striking his head and spitting on him and struck him with their hand. Now, I believe that most of you have been in church long enough and you've heard this about a hundred times. I'm not here to belabor it. I'm not here to accentuate it, but there's some facts you need to understand. First of all, why in the world is there a whole battalion in there? Okay, now a battalion in Greek is 600 soldiers. Now, that's not how many were there. They didn't have 600 available. This is Pilate's personal bodyguard. It means the rest of their crew which may have been about two to 300 people total. However, they grabbed a whole team in there. Why are they all in there? There's one guy and he has never shown violence. So why are they all in there? Because they're about to do a nasty game. What I did not know before research is how many times this game has been recorded in history. This is a common game. What you do is you take someone you do not like. Now they used to do it to the handicapped, to the mentally insane they did it to the poor they did it to people they didn't like and the game is you make fun of them and mock them and beat them up while pretending that they're a king this is a game these guys are bored out of their minds they hate the jewish people and now they get a chance to vent out all their anger they don't care who jesus is they don't know who he is it doesn't matter they're now going to play their game so they dress him up like a king. Purple is the color of royalty. They want him to have a wreath on his head, but they know that it'd be a lot funnier and it'd be a lot better 
if they could beat him up by putting a crown of thorns on his head. Now, if you've been over to Israel, you know what those thorns look like. They're about uh, two to three inches long, and they're really thick. They're not like um, blackberry bushes. It's nothing, or a rose thorn. It's nothing like that. They're big, long, sharp things. They wrap that into a makeshift wreath, like a victor's wreath. They put that on his head, and then they put a reed in his hand as what? A scepter. That's the dress up. Now what you do is you humiliate and you beat them up. Now remember, Pilate's plan is, I have to beat this guy so severely that the Jews will cave. I need to make it so demonstrative that they will let him go because I am not releasing Barabbas. I'll tell you that. We've got to get this guy out. So he tells them, make it bad. So they go in there and everybody gets in on it. They're playing the games, they're laughing, they're joking, and they start punching him and beating him and they're spitting on him and they're mocking him and, hey, sir, how you doing today? And then they start taking the reed and smacking him over the head. Now, what's the problem with that? He's got a crown of thorns. What does it do with the thorns? It drives them deeper into his head. Why is that important to know? Because of prophecy. Prophecy says that the Messiah would be beaten and marred beyond the image of a man. Meaning whatever has to happen to him, he is no longer recognizable as a human being. So what does that require? Trauma. When you strike someone's head and dig things into their head, it ends up creating what? Swelling. And so he begins to swell. And he begins to bruise and he begins to change in color. That's the point. All the punching and the hitting and the fighting and all that stuff. This is all for a dramatic display, but he's getting beat up. All right. That's where we're at. Pilate went out again and addressed the Jews once more, desiring to release Jesus. Hey, everybody, look, see, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, behold, the man, meaning check this guy out, man, is he not sufficiently pummeled? Is he not look like he's been ripped apart? The governor again said, all right, let's try this again. Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate again said to them, then what do you want me to do with a man that you call the king of the Jews? Making all this sarcasm. Once again, I'm gut. Do you want to kill your king? Do you want to kill your king? Do you want to kill your king? Listen, man, I don't like you. I'll kill your king. Is that really what you want? And the chief priests and the officers saw him and they kept shouting out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to him, you take him yourselves and crucify him. I don't find any guilt in him. And the Jews answered him, crucify him. We have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Why? What changed? First of all, there's an intriguing element of history that comes into play here. He said, you take him yourselves and crucify him. He knows full well they can't do that. Jews don't crucify. Only Romans crucify. Now, originally it was from the Persians, I found out. And the whole point on why they hang him up there is because the land belonged to the gods. And you don't want the dirty guy on the ground. So you got to stick him up in the air to get him off the ground. That's how it started. All right. Why is this important? The Talmud, which is a Jewish writings from their rabbis, commentary on religious stuff, records that 40 years before the destruction of Jerusalem, Rome pulled the right of capital punishment away from the Jewish people. Now, we know that they'll still go through it and do it illegally, but they no longer have the right to kill somebody. Why is that important? When did Jerusalem get destroyed? AD 70. Back up 40 years gets you to what? AD 30. When was Jesus gone public? AD 30. 
God waited for the orchestration for everything to be just perfect, pulled, crossed that threshold, taken out of the hands of the Jews, put it in the hands of the Romans, because why? Prophecy. Prophecy said that the Messiah, when he was to be killed, was to be lifted up for all men to see. Why is that not Jewish? Jews don't crucify. They what? They stone to death. There is a law in Leviticus and Deuteronomy that says if you blaspheme God, you are to be stoned to death. Stoning happens on the ground. That would not have fulfilled prophecy. The witnesses to the crime are the first ones to throw the rocks until the person dies. It couldn't be a Jewish death. It had to be a Roman death. And there was a certain point in history that that had to happen. And it was in a very small window. It says... Pilate goes, he's not guilty. He's not guilty. He's innocent. Why is that important? Because he's the sinless lamb of God slain for the sins of the world. Is that a big deal? Oh, you better believe it. It all begins with the father of the Jews. You guys remember his name? It's uh, Abraham. Y'all remember the story where Abraham took his son camping? Uh Uh-huh kind of went like this hey son let's go up to the mountain and go have a camping trip what are we going to do up there well we're going to offer a sacrifice to god oh sweet okay cool i'll carry the wood good all right dad i see the fire i see the knife i see i'm carrying the wood i don't see the lamb don't worry god will provide they get up there (laughs) hog ties his son right tons of therapy later right (laughs) sets him on the thing raises the knife to kill him And God says, stop, I now know that you have not withhold your only begotten son and says, I have provided that he may not die. And there caught in the thicket is a ram. That ram was offered and that whole mountain place is called God will provide. And sure enough, this is the fulfillment of the entire prophecy that our Jesus is the sinless lamb of God so that we, his children, would not die, but this lamb would die. You find out again that when he comes on the scene, John the Baptist shouts out, behold, the lamb of God, the sinless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and everyone ran to him. And then you see it again in Revelation. Do you remember? In Revelation, John the Revelator said, and I saw in heaven before the throne of God Almighty, a lamb as though he had been slain and all the elders bowed down before him and worshiped and said, worthy is the lamb who has been slain. That's this. Hmm. So Pilate again entered his headquarters and said to Jesus, where are you from? Man, this is complicated. But Jesus gave him no answer. I heard one commentator say this phrase, when God goes silent, it's usually because you and he are on such different pages, there's no point in even saying anything. I was like, ouch. So Pilate said to him, what, you're not going to speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you'd have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. Two things out of that. Who's the one that handed him over? Caiaphas, the high priest on behalf of the Jewish nation. The Jewish leadership is who he's talking about. They're the problem. Pilate, you're not even an issue. Here's something as a side note. There's a lot of political stuff that goes on in our world, and I get rattled a little bit like you do. Usually I get rattled because you do. And then you all text it to me. Anyway, it's not important. (laughs) I need you to remember something. They're all pawns. And when God says they're gone, they're gone. And when there's no authority on earth that is not allowed by God. God is in control. He's on the throne. Always remember that. Jesus was born to die and die he will. A third time, Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called 
the Messiah. And they said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? I find no guilt deserving death. Let me punish him again and release him. But they were more urgent, demanding with loud cries. They shouted all the more, let him be crucified, crucify him. The Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And their voices prevailed. Oops, what happened? They dropped a trump card. You know what a trump card is? There are certain uh, card games. Um, I used to play them when I was little. And the first, uh, the biggest, baddest card was called the trump card. You think of like ace of spades, but you would name it in a game. And whatever that card was, it beat every other card. And whoever had that was always going to win that round. That's what the Jews just did. Boom, there's nothing he can do. Why? Because they just said, if you don't kill this guy, you're disloyal to Rome. And we'll tell on you and we'll get you ripped out of this place. We've already shut you down multiple times. We'll shut you down again. Are you ready to lose everything that you care about? Are you ready to lose all your money, all your prestige, all your position? Because we will get you out of here. Now he's like, I can't win this. Forget it. So when Pilate heard these words and decided their demand should be granted, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment bema seat at a place called the stone pavement and an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of the preparation of the Passover. Is that important? It is to John. John goes, this is the day they slaughter all the lambs for Passover. That's my lamb. Hmm. It was about noon, the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, what, I'm going to crucify your king? The chief priest said, we have no king but Caesar. Stop. What? Wait, Jews said we have no king but Caesar. Are you kidding me? Everyone knows that God is the king of Israel. And you just defy God because you're so mad and you want this guy gone You'll cave everything else because of your anger, because of your jealousy, that you get so personally wrapped up in this that you're willing to defy and spit in God's face. And that's exactly what they did. Something's going on. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people said, his blood be on us and on our children. Whoops. That's a bad choice. That's a prophecy. Less than 40 years later, AD 70 hits. Jerusalem is sacked. All Jews lose their land. They don't get it back till 1945. He, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged and scourged him, and he delivered him over to them, over to their will, to be crucified. Last things you need to know. What's scourging? This is that scene I always refer to in The Passion of the Christ that always makes me cry. You change somebody to a low post. The purpose is they have to bend over to expose their back. Now, at some point, they'll fall down and kneel down, but they're always hung on a post, so their back is exposed. That's the point. Then what you do is you take a long whip that is embedded with uh, rough glass, metal, um, uh, bone that's sharpened. Now, it's sharpened for the point to grab. That's the point of it. So here's what happens. You take your long whip, and it locks into their skin. You pull down and away. Why? To rip strips off. You do it again. Down and away. This is where you get the phrase, by his stripes, we are healed. The point of the scourging, Jews have a different form of whipping. It does not have the bone and the metal and all that stuff. Their version was to beat you up and they had to stop at 39 lashes. Rome had no law. This could be your death penalty, but this was also a prep for crucifixion. Why? The point was to break the body down because once you hang them up on the cross, you don't want it to take forever. So the more they can destroy the body's ability to strengthen itself, the more weak they can make you, the faster you die. 
pull and rip away. Pull and rip away. They had it so exposed, so ripped apart, so beat down, that now they could hang them there and they'd maybe last a day. Rome was willing to release an insurrectionist rather than Jesus. Why? Because they believed that Jesus would have caused a greater riot. Hmm. So let me ask you this. What's fair? Is this fair? Did Jesus deserve this? Is this what needed to happen? Who deserves to be on that cross? Us. Why are we not there? Because he went first. Why did he do it? Because he loves you. And he's protective. None of this is fair. He didn't deserve to be beaten. He didn't deserve to be crucified. He didn't deserve any of that. We keep crying out, it's not fair, it's not fair. You don't want fair. You want grace. Fair will get you to hell. Grace will get you to heaven. It's not fair. You're absolutely right. But it's good. I'll finish with a story. It's a little tiny version in my mind how I connect the two. Uh, Many years ago when my children were little, uh, my wife um, had kind of a passion to do reupholstering. So she would go into a Goodwill or a yard sale and get, you know, a ratty old thing. She'd take the entire thing apart and rebuild it from scratch and make it into this beautiful piece. Well, what I found out, being a dude that had no idea, is that every furniture is held together by one million staples. (laughs) Did not know that. Never taken the back off a chair before. That's weird. And so what you do is you lay down uh, something underneath it, and as you're pulling out all the staples, they all fall on the thing. Well, inevitably, when you're dealing with one million staples, some of them aren't going to fall off the blanket. Well, she was doing it inside, and we had a shag rug. So um, needless to say, she went through, and she checked everywhere she could to try to make sure she found all the staples. Well, when you have little ones, they all walk around with bare feet, right? I remember being so scared that they were going to step on one. I had them stay up in the room and I walked every inch of that carpet in my bare feet so that I would step on it before they did. Now, here's the point. Every time I stepped, did I want to step on a staple? Of course not. Every time it was like, no, no, please don't, please don't, please don't. don't." (laughs) But what was the point? I was willing to, because that's what it would require. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. I need you to understand that. He was willing to, because the ones that he loved more needed him to. But he didn't want to. Because we try to reconcile this idea that he willingly went to the cross with the Garden of Gethsemane, and you go, no, 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 no. Every step, it was, oh, please no. But he knew full well it was necessary. All of that for love. How can any of us live any moment of our day not feeling loved by God? 